Thank you for choosing to listen to the Recruiters Recruitment Podcast. In a really amazing selection of other podcasts indicative of the recruitment market and the business market, for whatever reason you're listening now, we just want to say thank you for choosing us. We couldn't do this without our sponsor and our partners. We're going to talk about them a little bit later on in the show, but thank you to Pager, our sponsors, and our partners, Inclusion Crowd and Needy. And without further ado, let's jump in to get to know this week's guest. My next guest on the Recruiters Recruitment Podcast is Dan Cohen, who is the co-founder of Mixel. Mixel is a diversity and inclusion data business, and they work with businesses across the globe in ensuring you're utilizing your data to hire and retain the best talent. It's a really interesting dialogue because we contextualize where the recruitment industry is right now as we record this, but also what he maps out as the future and what we can do better as recruitment professionals ourselves for ourselves internally as a multi-billion pound industry but also externally for the employers across all the different industries and markets out there. At the end of the interview, we also talk about Dan's personal journey to sobriety. Uh, obviously, if you follow me on LinkedIn, you'll know that I'm also a sober, um, I live a lifelong sober fan now, been doing that for the last seven years. And we talk about Dan's journey, the whys, the wherefores, the benefits, And more importantly, how you as a leader can create a true sense of belonging to anybody that is also deciding to follow an alcohol-free life. This is a really enjoyable episode. Dan's absolutely delightful. I hope you enjoy it as much as I did recording it. So without further ado, let's jump in. We are so proud at the Recruiters Recruitment Podcast to be sponsored by Pager. Pager helps recruiters to build personal brands, to identify new business opportunities, to attract those hard-to-find candidates, and to basically have better conversations. Now, you will have a large network that you want to build credibility with on LinkedIn, and sometimes posting content every day feels impossible. Now, that changes once you have Pager. Pager provides you with the ideas, the content, and the scheduling capability to produce daily content to build out your own personal brand in minutes and for business development too. Pager identifies companies that are advertising jobs, have key hiring indicators such as funding rounds, mergers, acquisitions, or senior appointments, and then alerts you to this daily. Pager also enables you to write candidate-centric job adverts without bias in seconds. So once you advertise your job, Pager will then automatically create a branded post and publish it to LinkedIn without you even having to lift a finger. So when you want to actively source candidates, you can create complex Boolean strings in seconds. All you need to do is to provide the job title and location. Now, Pager is making thousands and thousands of recruiters smarter and faster. For more information, click on the link pager.co to book your demo and remember to mention the Recruiters Recruitment Podcast when inquiring. Now, back to the episode. 
This is Leisha Holmes and I'm your host on the Recruiters Recruitment Podcast and it's actually a very rare thing that when I'm getting to know my guests that I don't previously know offline I lose track of the time and before you know we've been chatting for about 25 minutes but you're going to absolutely love my next guest. We're going to talk about some really powerful, impactful and meaningful things today and I really hope that you leave this show feeling as warm as I do already getting to know Dan. So this is Dan Cohen, he's the co-founder of Mixel and a fellow so bright actually and I'm really pleased to meet you today, Dan. How are you? Hi, Alicia. Thanks so much for uh, having me on the podcast. I'm very well, thank you. I'm very happy that the way things are going, but uh, certainly the weather's turned this week, which is the only bit of bad news, I think, winter well, is finally here. We, we do live in the UK after all, Dan. I mean, actually, our audience are global, so we have people that are listening right across the globe and will probably not appreciate how quickly things can turn. We go from heat waves to yeah. freezing cold dark in the UK, don't we, in a very short period of time. Yeah. And we are recording this in October 2023. By the time this goes live, it might even be twinkly lights of Christmas. Who knows? Now, for those who are not yet familiar with who you are and what your business does, please give us an introduction as to what you do. Yeah, thank you. Um, so my name's uh, Dan Cohen. Uh, I'm the co-founder of Mixel. Um, Mixel is a, a data business that provides uh, demographic and diversity insights uh, to recruitment companies. Um, so we founded this business um, at the start of the year. Uh, me and my co-founder, a chap called Stuart Morgan, um, who, just a quick kind of intro on Stuart, who's been um, in the recruitment tech world for about 20 years. Wow. Um, he's uh, worked at companies like Bullhorn, Daxtra. Um, he founded a business called Kylo that kind of worked with uh, Bullhorn, doing a lot of integrations. Um, so he's, uh, he's certainly uh, extremely well qualified to kind of look at uh, demographics and data from a recruitment perspective. Um, myself and my background, I have, uh, was been in, in recruitment since the late 90s, working Christmas holidays and summer holidays with my auntie's business. Um, and uh, in 2005, I started working at a company called Broadbeam. Uh, we, we were very small back then, kind of was there for maybe seven, eight years. I was also at Bullhorn for a year where I initially met Stuart. Um, uh, we used to work together as a team. So I was the, the, the sales guy looking after the enterprise part and, uh, and Stuart was a sales engineer. Um, and then uh, I left Bullhorn and randomly went to the corporate world for about wow. eight, eight, nine years and um, spent a lot of time uh, working for a very, very big food tech business in the States and building out diverse teams in London and New York and Philly, Chicago, LA. Um, so I've seen kind of the power of, of diversity firsthand um, and the effect and the hugely positive effect, I should say, that it has on businesses. Um, so when Stuart and I kind of uh, reconnected back in back in uh, actually it was November last year. Um, we both had an idea for a business. Mine was more about kind of uh, qualitative feedback from businesses, so people could start to kind of be a bit more truthful at work and kind of mm. start to remove that corporate mask um, and create a much kind of happier, safer place for individuals. Mm. Um, and then Stuart's idea was Mixel. Uh, which obviously uh, we, we thought was a much kind of better idea to start to increase the amount of representation in the workplace. So uh, 10, month, 10 months later, here we are now. And by the time this goes out, it'll probably be a year. So congratulations to you. That's phenomenal. And, we're, and, we're, and you're based here in the UK? We are, yes. Yeah. So I'm based in North London um, and uh, Stuart's up in, actually up in uh, Orkney. Uh, oh, wow. Uh, 
How beautiful. He's about the, you're about the polar opposite of the UK that you can get for anyone that's got a map out. That's wonderful. Yeah. Well, thank you for that amazing introduction. So in terms of your journey to this point, I love the fact that you've kind of transcended all parts of this industry, which I think gives it really great context and, you know, makes you have a very holistic view. So what's your perception right now of, you know, a lot of our listeners, you know, we, we get feedback generally from leaders and from recruiters themselves and certainly from those in the early part of their career. What do you see as the landscape right now for us as the actual recruiters? Mm. Yeah, that's a really broad question. I know, right? I realise um, that. I think that in- there's a lot of answers to it. Okay. But, you know, I, I think holistically, I mean, look, holistically, like, I think, you know, it's it, it's something that, like DNI as a whole, I think is is being adopted by more and more businesses. Mm. Um, there's no doubt, and you know, the, the larger agencies out there, the larger consultancies are looking at this not just obviously because they want to do the right thing and mm. you know start to kind of increase that representation, um, but also kind of seeing it as a key business strategy. And from a recruitment perspective, that could be kind of talking about you know your candidates and your candidate sourcing ideas and. Uh, the, the, the kind of um, strategies around that to try and get more diverse candidates into the pipeline. Um, it's qualifying out kind of what the client needs and the client demands. Um, as we know, there's there's some very, very big businesses out there who you probably think or assume were kind of well into their diversity strategy and kind of quite mature on their journey. But mm. when you kind of look under the bonnet, that isn't always the case. case. And mm, there right. is a bit of kind of, tokenism and, and lip service so um we we quickly identified really that there was kind of no no data available for recruiters mm-hmm. apart from kind of survey-led data um which is great and you know that's obviously very useful for a lot of businesses given given the right environment that you create to make someone as comfortable as possible to answer the questions uh, within that survey um but we thought, well, you know, there's there's a there's a, a lot of information that kind of resides within the CRM and using our machine learning tools, how we can start to extrapolate some of those candidate demographics to give a, a kind of pulse check, if you will, or, or a snapshot yep. of where these recruitment agencies are right now. Okay. Um, and in, enabling them to sort of give a foundation as to how or where to kind of start or begin that journey. Mm-hmm. Um so I don't feel like, if I'm being perfectly honest, that there are enough recruitment agencies or recruiters out there that are looking at this as a key business strategy. I agree. Which we do find strange when mm. that is what, you know, most businesses over, let's say, 100 people, mm. they understand the need and the will and the drive to kind of build out these diverse workplaces. But I don't think that the recruit, many recruiters kind of have the tools to even understand how to meet that demand or where to begin on their journey. So hopefully Mixor can... Look after I think so and, and interestingly as you know I recorded the podcast uh, in one day and, and one of the topics we talked about within previous guests was data and that as, a, as an industry we have only really in the last few years realized and recognized the value of the data that we have like you say on our on our CRM systems which we can then extrapolate yeah. and use as insights for our clients but actually for our own advantage as well without understanding the data of the people that we're interviewing for ourselves and therefore for our clients it's impossible to understand where those future diverse talent pools are going to come from. And this is 
universal wherever you're listening to this in the world right now in whatever sector you will have a blockage of talent somewhere in in the typical or traditional ways that you've gone and found candidates for your for your clients so I think it's you know whether you are a boutique business you mentioned before one man band which I always find that expression quite ironic when I'm talking to a DEI specialist one person band I'm a you know it's true (laughs) um it's I find that ironic it, it 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 applies to everybody you know we we have the data available so I think it's you know I, I'm I'm glad I asked you that question I re- and I, I guess purposefully it was a little bit broad because I just want to understand what you know you're you've got an objective viewpoint of the industry and I think I think the fact is we can do much better than the tokenism that you've described there but actually in order for us to let's think commercially here in order for us to actually forecast and be able to grow our own businesses we have to start taking this seriously as the only way we're going to ensure that we're going to have future revenue streams for our clients surely yeah that's that's, about it (laughs) perfect perfect summary you know you know that's spot on and i think that um maybe data as a whole hasn't been looked at enough from 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 our industry i mean there were massive multi you know huge billion dollar Billions of dollars industry, and we, um, I don't really feel like there's been enough thought or kind of consideration to mm. the the amount of data that, that that these businesses hold. And you know, yeah. there there are companies yeah. that have come in like Cube Nineteen, which is now Hawthorne Analytics, um, to kind of really start to kind of farm some of that data and understand, you know, albeit more kind of positioned towards recruiter performance, but. Mm it seems that there's still a lot of businesses that are quite kind of transactional when it comes to working with clients, your placement here, your placement there. Um, and that that's not, I'm sure it's sustainable for some, but that's not really a, a, a kind of strategy that, that that is responsible for growth. Um, what, what that requires is kind of long-term thinking, strategic partnerships, and kind of moving away from just being a supplier of talent to a partner to those clients. And I think where we've seen that in the last year and previously in my in my other life in, in recruitment uh, before I left for a while um you know it's those longer term relationships and strategies that, mm. that that tend to build out business and that you can rely on those clients and those keep those relationships for a number of years um and if we can we can arm uh, the recruiter world with a kind of different set of tools to have a different type of conversation mm. around diversity for those clients then I think people's ears prick up and they're a lot more kind of interested and they have a conversation as to how you can plug those gaps for them. Um, so it's, you know, it's, it's, it's absolutely, it should be front and center. And I, I feel quite honored, I guess, that I've spent so much time on that corporate side, building those teams. And when I had a, mm-hmm. when I had a team together in London, we had a mix of, uh, of, of everyone, right? Across every single uh, demographic. And at first, was slightly kind of awkward and and some people were hesitant about accepting others and you know me and my 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 senior team kind of had to introduce things around you know socials and ideas and and games and stuff that would start to bring people together and once we had that and you know it took probably about a year or so to kind of help everyone understand that the more different we are the wider perspective and therefore the broader the thinking so therefore more innovative we're going to be as a, as, a, as, a, as a group or as a business um and once you explain that to people and they kind of see it through their own eyes and they see the output of building these teams together they're kind of sold on on this idea mm. and you know which is amazing right and, and, and kudos to everyone kind of at that business because we had an amazing time but 
even today when we're talking to certain prospects and you know trying to get in front of people some of the stuff that we've heard from you know people that may be kind of 40 upwards so i'm actually 45 for my sins i was 45 last month but uh, some of the response that we've had around the topic of, of, of edni isn't that positive right and right. um and, are, you, are you suggesting and, and from an old from an older demographic you mean people that are yeah. the, the, the more cynical why because i'm yeah. i'm definitely in that group i'm nearly 50 so why 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 that specific demographic are they just cynical about it yeah i think yeah, it's, it's, it's a really good question. I think it kind of comes from lived experience, right? And and mm. the way that some of these recruitment firms have kind of grown or scaled over the years, there's always been, certainly when I was there, there's always kind of like been referral programs and, oh, I've got a friend of a friend and I've got a mate who can do this. We, we hire clones. We hire clones. That's what we do, Dan. Yeah. So, um, you know, so it's, so ultimately you're creating yourself an environment that lacks perspective and lacks diversity. Um but there's no kind of, you know, I'm not sort of sitting here saying that oh, you're, you're a bad person for, for, for seeing things that way or doing that things yeah. because it's purely a product of the environment, right? It's a product of, of, of who we spent our time with, um, how far kind of we've traveled, where, where we are geographically. Um, so all we're kind of trying to do is, is to give people, um, you know, an element of kind of, I guess, education on this through yeah. data. So they, they can kind of see that position for themselves. Um, mm. And what's really interesting is when we kind of set up, we'll do like a free trial for, for, for a company and they think that they're kind of over here, but once they've got their live data loaded up, actually they're miles The reality away. is miles away. That's so interesting, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. And, and it really kind of hits home for a lot of companies and they're like, oh God, we are miles away from where we thought we were. Good. Um, so how, how are we going to service these clients when we, you know, don't we... 5% of our candidates are female or 5% are, you know, um, from, from, from an ethnic minority. Like it's, so it's not something that can be, I guess, sort of switched on and off. No. I feel like if, if people want to learn about this, if it's on them to do it, you can't necessarily tell someone to educate themselves or that there needs no. to be an, an element of, um, Kind of self-improvement or understanding mm. and you know even in the last year I've, I've literally lived this right but even in the last year working with some amazing amazing people out there like um joe major and jenny child from mm. balance and inclusion and diversity and recruitment um and learning from them and and, and and listening to their stories and kind of what their lived experience has been and, and going into recruiters and working and training and coaching and you know so it's a never-ending scale of of learning i don't think that anyone's ever going to kind of put a stamp on and say well that's it i know everything we're now. never going to get there fully are we it's ever we'll never get there but you know it's as long as we're, we're starting to kind of get onto that journey well, um, well i think i definitely think as an industry we're on the journey and i think at the moment if i'm going to use a really terrible analogy of a train you've got three carriages one is the front carriage is those companies that are using the data are absolutely leading the way, can say that they are embracing and living the diversity, you know, flag that that, that they've got fantastic stats, whatever it might be. You've then got yeah. the middle carriage of those that have the intention but have possibly just done the tick box exercise and do just enough. And then you've got those who really couldn't give a shit, who just think, I don't care. This is how it's always worked. We're doing really well. We've just been to Ibiza, whatever it might be. Now, the way I see it, is that that train at some point is going to change direction because things happen, COVID happened, you know, there might be who knows what legislation's ahead, you know, but I think that data within our industry 
has never been more important. And I think, you know, we could encapsulate that with, you know, the data that we use on things like, um, you know, commission schemes, remuneration schemes, you know, keeping people, being rewarded. It, it plays into the whole HR strategy. This isn't just sat on its own. EDI doesn't just sit in a corner on its own. It's everything. Retaining the best talent, hiring the best talent. And, you know, to use the word crude again, recruitment leaders sat in that last carriage. You are never going to hire and retain the best talent if you ain't doing these these elements in the future. It's just, it's going to be, this isn't just a, um, like a, a tick button, you know, a, I can't think of the right expression, what I'm trying to say, a tick box exercise. You're not tick just box, doing yeah. it for a marketing, you used the word before, you know, it's not just a marketing exercise. This is actually something where if you're not, you're not actually hiring in the diverse talent, it's like you're creating an echo chamber of clones and actually you're only as good as the people that you're hiring in. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I, I like yeah. your uh, I like your um, train analogy. Thank you. I've had a few of those. There's buses and there's bus stops and on the journey, all these kind of things, right? But but I think one of the, one of the key things is that people tend to kind of maybe don't realise. And I was having a really interesting conversation the other day with a quite a senior kind of TA leader um, at a very big firm, and um, and uh, she was saying that um, you know th there's one thing kind of looking at from a recruitment because she was an ex-recruiter like there's one thing kind of looking at what your client dynamics are and how your clients are changing the, the way that they bring on people how they onboard them the inclusivity the inclusivity and belonging strategies around it which are equally as important as the recruitment process mm. um but we were we also kind of pointed out the the changing demographics of the younger generations that are coming through and uh, this lady actually knew years back, she was a recruiter as well back in the day. And she said something to me that was really interesting, which was like, when we were, when we were sort of 20, like a thousand years ago, um, th there were key things that we asked for in a, a kind of in a recruitment role or a sales job, whatever. And it was kind of broken down into, it sounds basic, right? But it's um, your basic salary, your compensation, your commission. If you had a car, if you had yep. a phone. Yeah. And yeah. That's all what we kind of, those are the sort of four we things that would sort of apply the job or not and everything's fine. Today, you know, I've got a lot of kind of cousins that are aged from maybe 15 to sort of 22. Those aren't the things they're looking for. They're looking for inclusivity. They're looking for cultural fit. They're looking for belonging. They're looking for work flexibility. So if you're not able to kind of provide them in these environments to do their work they're just going to sort of go somewhere else or they'll use another recruiter or they'll look to apply they for are. jobs directly so you know it's not a this is not just about doing the right thing it's keeping up with the changing times which are changing really really quickly yeah. and people want different yeah. things from work and you know we touched on it earlier kind of about the work from home argument and the flexibility piece yeah. and stuff and you know, each to their own on that, that there's a there's definitely not one size fits all and everyone needs to kind of do what's best for them, what's best for their workforce. But what does that workforce look like? Yeah. Um, what are the demographics through it? And if you don't know that, certainly for some of those larger kind of corporate businesses out there with whatever 50, 100,000 people, um, you're never going to kind of put the, 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 the right ideas in place or the right strategies to, you know, ensure you get that inclusive. Um, yeah, it's uh, of ideas you know to sort of attain that longevity of, of of the people that are working for you so time to change it and uh, time, need time to react. It's, i'm, I'm chuckling something. because you're up to i mean i'm definitely of the same era as you i think it was 
you know like you say you didn't even ask about holidays because everybody's got 20, 20 days that was it but nowadays <laughs> yeah. and, and I am the parent I am the parent of you know I've got two teenagers and you know I know a lot of their friends very diverse and it is that sense yeah. of belonging but but equally because of the world that they've grown up in a lot of them have you know portfolio careers they might do some DJing they might do some piercing they might do hairdressing they might do Botox at the weekend lashes that we can and I'm not joking here they will have other careers and other income streams which is why they need the mm -hmm. flexibility um have you thought about that as an employer that that's actually something that they're not going to leave that behind that's not a contradiction or it's not moonlighting or anything like that and um, we've we've you know we can talk about neurodiversity you know people with limiting you know ab ability to actually get into the office you, you're missing out on the global community and i think there's so much going on there's so many moving parts at the moment that companies that are not having this as a meaningful conversation speaking to experts like yourself you know one of our proud partners of the podcast is inclusion crown they're an educator they actually work with businesses on the actual so you're doing the data they're actually educating bit bit like i mean what's what joe major does you know that this yeah. is so important now for you know ensuring that your business is still around and has actual employees in five years time and it, it is literally mm -hmm. as simple as that because those people will go I don't feel like I belong. I look around and go, no one else here. No one else here has piercings or tattoos. No one else here has small children. No one else here, you know, has to sit in the, you know, has have headphones on because there's too much going on in terms of stimulation because I've got ADHD. Whatever it might be, and these are all things that we're encouraging to lose the stigma around, and yet we're not then making safe workplaces for them because we're not we're not understanding. Yeah. We're not understanding. Speaking of belonging. Yeah. Speaking of belonging, one of the key things yeah. you and I talked about off off um, camera was the fact that, and we talked about it on on our chat as well, was that we're both um, sobrites. We're both following sober lifestyles. So for you, yes. talk to me about your journey to sobriety, if you want to. <laughs> yeah, of course. Well, I'm more than happy to share it. Look, you know, I think um, you know my uh, my my grandparents were Irish. Um, I had my first sip of Guinness when I was about six years old at the pub with my granddad. Nice. Um, as everyone does, I think growing up in, it's certainly in the UK, there's a huge drinking culture, right? Most weekends, yeah. even yeah. at a kind of relatively young age. Yeah. And yeah. Um, I was never, I was never, I never kind of would ever consider myself as, a, as addicted to alcohol or at all, but was out, you know, two or three times a week, maybe on the weekends. Um, I'm quite a tall chap. I'd have to sort of drink a lot to feel drunk and a bit of a heavyweight, I guess. Um, but I, um, so that was kind of my life for, for a long time. And that was, you know, here in the States, across Europe. I'm a, a massive Tottenham fan for my sins, or lots of away days, these kind of things. And uh, yeah, don't switch off the podcast just yet. But, um, <laughs> so it, it was, um, you know, it, it was part of my life, I guess. It was part of my, 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 my social scene. And, um, Anyway, a long story short, I was out uh, on New Year's Eve um, in 2019 and um, I guess kind of overdid it and got home the next day, literally like in the afternoon. I don't know even what happened. Kind of looked at myself in the mirror and I was like, wow, you look green. Um, and the, in the months leading up to that, I guess I was drinking quite a lot um, and I was never, I guess I was lacking that kind of euphoric feeling. Uh, when you were having a drink I felt like I was feeling a bit down and it was kind of taking me the other way and um, 
I didn't really, you know, everyone was having fun and laughing and joking. I was kind of slumped in the corner and just not really feeling it anymore. I think it finally made me caught up with me after 25 years of it, Maybe. or 30 years of it, whatever. Yeah. Um, so anyway, I um, I decided to just uh, do dry January, um, just to kind of, with the toxins, healthy lifestyle, and did that for the month. And I was like, you know what? I feel good. I'm going to do February as well or March. And I just carried on. I just carried on. So there was nothing kind of sinister about my kind of no. wanting to stop drinking. Um, it just felt like the right thing to do. And yeah. I've not had a drop since. You know, I feel better. Uh, I feel like my skin's better. I've lost a bit of weight. Like, you know, I just just feel better about myself, really. Um, not to say there mm. aren't occasions where I miss mm. it, the weddings and the stag mm. parties and mm. stuff, of yeah, course. But that's mm. more to kind of make me make me feel more comfortable in that environment, right? Because everyone's had a few. The peer pressure. You're kind of stone cold. Mm. So you get a little bit of peer pressure. There's always mm. kind of people bringing shots. And, like, you sure you don't want a shot of Jaeger or tequila or something? And I think that's an element of that as well to kind of hide some of their their own guilt as well. Certainly, some of my friends who drink more than anyone I've ever met. Um, but yeah, so look, it, it's been great for me, and I, I'm in a good place with it now. Good, and thank you for sharing that with us because I realised that was very personal, and 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 I echo a lot of what you said of yeah. as to my, you know, I didn't class myself as an alcoholic, and I've talked about mine many times before. Um, and if anyone wants to discuss anything offline with me, I'm not a an alcohol counsellor but I will I'm always happy to talk about my own sober journey because for me it's you know the populace in this country particularly in the UK it's a binge drink, drinking culture and it still is a binge drinking culture and that I've you know I'm almost I guess 30 years well no more than that 30 odd years because I started drinking probably around 14 15 like you do um but I think mm. the reason I wanted to bring it up with you specifically is because we're talking this in context of you know people feeling like they belong in a culture and I think there's definitely I I feel that there's now this acceptance to talk about it openly and to not feel ostracized in a workplace environment and that people should feel safe to be able to talk about that so I mean what would you I mean you've got such an like I said before this kind of eclectic viewpoint because of the of where you've worked and the and the role that you do now what would you advise employers listening and leaders listening, of which there are many, thank you for joining us, what would your advice be to those who look around the room and think, we need to be more supportive to people going on this sober journey? Mm. Yeah, I think that's a really, really good question. I think, um, you know, it, it, I, and again, through lived experience, and we're having a really diverse team, um, quite a lot of whom weren't drinkers uh, for, for various different reasons. So, it was kind of like just really trying to kind of keep open lines of communication when it comes to any form of social kind of activity. Um, mm. And I'll be honest, you know, for years it was always, oh, let's just get down the pub or the bar, a few drinks, you know, grab a kebab in the evening, like whatever. Um, and I feel like it's not, it's not, it's not overly complex, right? You just need to ask your team, ask your department, ask whatever, mm. what it is that they kind of want when it comes to looking at the, I guess, the more kind of social aspects of, of work and what that looks like. And, you know, there are so many different other activities that you can do apart from drinking now that, you know, whether that's know, mini golf or axe throwing or go-karting or, you know, whatever it might be. And even, you know, those places that you kind of find in town that may well have a, a sort of bar attached. So hopefully you're you're, you're creating something that is good for, for both sides. Um, but mm. it, it, 
it, but yeah, exactly. But it, it's it's difficult. And um, I was actually talking to a, a friend of mine that she works in the recruitment world a couple of weeks in the in, in the insurance world a couple of um, weeks back, and you know, there's a real there's a challenge sometimes with kind of mm -hmm. some of his team members who aren't drinkers and the culture around that industry still is really kind of alcohol driven it's about entertaining clients and going out for dinners yep. and up with them and having drinks and this kind of stuff and you know it's it shouldn't be a prerequisite of any job that that is part of the job description and um, still obviously go out with clients and, and do your best as such but there is a bond that is formed unfortunately between if you are with a client and you're not drinking or you are with a client and you are drinking and not saying that's a negative thing because you can get a lot of positive kind of feedback from that people have had a few drinks they feel more yeah, relaxed they open yeah. up they're more honest you communicate better or you maybe try and communicate better yes. depending on how drunk you are you're slurring your words or not but um you know so it, it absolutely goes on in, in in a lot of the key industries insurance banking now even recruitment and the like probably uh for, for these larger companies that you're trying to kind of you know impress or, or, or work with um so I feel like it is um, it is something that's quite prominent still. It shouldn't be, and there shouldn't be any kind of link towards having a beer or a glass of wine or anything else and how well you can do your job. Those things should yeah. be absolutely separate. They do cross over. It's difficult. Mm. It's difficult to, to, to split them. Um, but I do feel like there's a ton of new activities and things that people can do. I appreciate that there's maybe some hurdles in the way of people are working from home and they've got to kind of sort of come into town but there's still kind of online things that you can do and there are companies out there that create kind of online games oh, experiences they do. and events and everything yeah yeah definitely. so um but it, but look it's it's you know it's a challenge i think and uh, I'm, I'm definitely not in a position to kind of say what the answers are because i think every company is different but you have to do you have to do what's right across every single member you of your and involve everyone in xyz activities and be and be, be consistent with how you treat people whether they pick up a glass of wine or not that's my advice and the, the oh, fact yeah. is there are so many choices around alcohol free drinks now anyway so and that, that wasn't the case six seven years ago when i when i gave it up so i think that you've given a very pragmatic answer there actually because you've you've kind of highlighted that it is a challenge and it is a challenge it's not an easy journey to go on um, and it, we do get a lot of listeners who do follow my sober journey. So I know that if you're on your, on your sobriety journey yourself, whether you're moderating or whether you're trying to live an alcohol free life, you know, it's really important to understand that we we recognize it is a challenge, but it's worth it. And I've of all the people that I've ever spoken to who who are on the other side and have have chosen a sober life. No one's ever regretted it. You know, it's yeah. simple as that. It's yeah. been the best decision they've made. It's not about giving up the alcohol. It's about choosing a different way of life. And it's one that if it suits you, you'll never regret it. Couldn't couldn't agree more with that. I think that's 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 really well constructed. Um, it's not just drinking, it's the day or two days afterwards with a terrible hangover and not being able to do things or see friends or family, this sort of yeah. stuff. So it, it does it's it does affect people and it affects people in different ways as well. I know people that can go out till four in the morning and I be know. at their desk at an early eight AM. That was so, me. That was me until probably yeah. my late 20s early still I have my kids basically and then right, yeah, anyone yeah. with children will tell you there's no way it's impossible no, listen that's been <laughs> really I really love, love it and you know the narrative out there is that you know you, companies like yourself you are 
you know, certainly I don't want to use the word disruptive, but you are disrupting what we're doing as in an industry to say we have to recognise that we can't just sit on the laurels that we've had for the last 60 odd years as an industry or however long. We need to yeah. move forward. We should be innovative with it. And you know what? Anyone listening, we are the educators ourselves. We educate the end user clients. So people can connect to you on LinkedIn, I presume, Dan, if people start wanting to know more about Mixel, if they want to Absolutely. get involved. Right. Yeah, please do. Oh, uh, all the details are on their email and the like and everything. So um, please get in touch and oh, we can set you up on a on a free trial, upload your data and just have great. a review. You know, no obligation. Everything's complimentary and, uh, and take it from there. But oh, it, that's it, fantastic. It's always interesting. Throws up a lot of surprises. I bet it way. does. And if anybody does want to do that, that sounds amazing that there's a complimentary trial of it. Make sure you mention the Recruiters Recruitment Podcast because then Dan will be able to monitor using data uh, where you've come yes. from. So thank you thank you for joining us. You've been a superb guest and it's been really lovely to get to know you. And we forgive the fact that you're a Spurs fan because, you know, you've not had an easy you've not had an easy couple of seasons happy really that's it's, well it's been a, it's been a tough it's been a tough 30 years to be honest with you but we roll with the punches but hey, no, listen, no thank you for having me it's, it's been, been a pleasure, pleasure. Really thank you so much we are so proud to be partners of needy the gifting revolution here at key recruitment we absolutely love to send out bespoke gifts to our new place candidates to welcome them in their new jobs, but also as an extra special thank you to clients or when a team is celebrating something really special. But to be honest, we were really fed up with dull or mediocre gifts that you could just buy on the high street that didn't really reflect who we are at Key Recruitment as a business. This is why we chose Needy. Needy source sustainably from the UK's best independent businesses, offering the most perfect array of bespoke gifts and experiences too. So no more boring bottles of plonk or rubbish boxes of chocolates. This is how you make your customers day with a gift that really matters and shows that you really want to do something special for them. For more information on how psychology and AI forming to make the best gift experience for you, click on the link and remember to mention the Recruiters Recruitment Podcast when ordering. Now, back to the episode. The Recruiters Recruitment Podcast is thrilled to be partnering with Inclusion Crowd. Inclusion Crowd put the D into diversity, but do it disruptively. We love that. Really reflecting what we're about. I was introduced to Inclusion Crowd back in 2020, and I've been absolutely blown away with what they're doing to totally transform the recruitment and hiring sector. They believe at Inclusion Crowd that companies should be reflective of society and that no matter who you are listening now, you have a story to tell. You have a contribution to make. An inclusion crowd educates you in allowing your voice to come out and share that story, but doing it in a way that educates your colleagues and your customers equally. Inclusion crowd, like the Recruiters Recruitment podcast, has clients all over the world and they specialise in our industry. What we all want to do together is to maintain best practice and to raise industry standards to enable us to attract and retain the best talent, 
but doing so inclusively and with true diversity. By doing this, by accomplishing a true EDI policy within your business, you will also retain the top talent as well as attract new talent, which is a win-win for everybody listening, making more profitable business and a much better industry, highly, regard, highly regarded. Inclusion Crowd are also the official awarding body for the Inclusion and Diversity Certification Mark within recruitment. We are so proud to be assisting and partnering Inclusion Crowd. If you want to know more information, please click on the link in this episode and remember to mention the Recruiters Recruitment Podcast when you do so. Now, back to the episode. <laughs> 